0: are Locked On Wildcats, your daily podcast on the Arizona Wildcats, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: Happy Friday, everyone. Thanks for keeping it locked on, Wildcats. I'm your host, Mike Luke, joined by the boss, the mentor, everything, Mr. Rob Lance. How you doing, Rob?
0: Mike, I'm excellent. I got to do something this last weekend that was kind of cool that connects to both of us, if I can share with you just shortly. Absolutely. I got to sit down and chat with Brody Dryden just mm-hmm. shortly, um, which was really awesome because you were kind of mentoring him much in the same way that I mentored you. So it was it was really awesome to see you paying that forward, my man. I'm really proud
1: of you. Yeah, I tell people all the time I wouldn't be in this position without you, and I mean that. That's not uh... – you know, let's not lip service. That's just, that's just a fact. I wouldn't be here. And, you know, I always try to remember that. And Brody's a kid that, uh, you know, you look at Brody and, uh, he is mature beyond his years, even though he's carrying around a six foot eight frame.
0: Very much so. a uh, great kid. It was great chatting with him, and it was a great, uh, making it a connection with him. Um, and, and seeing the legacy of 1290 carry in on, I, I was, I was proud of that. And, and happy for you, my man. I
1: appreciate it, bud. All right. This is uh, this is where Rob and I are going to start nerding out a little bit. So we've got a top five list that we're going to start doing when there isn't a ton of news. Because right now, there's not a ton of news. So right now, we're going to break down our top five point guards in U of A history. And what I mean by that, and I'm sorry. I know there's going to be a Bruce Larson person that's going to be upset or a Fred Snowden. For me, at least, it's 1980s and on. Um, or excuse me, the Ludolson era and on. I can't, don't really have a frame of reference for anything before that. It's just a different era. So again, this isn't a uh, this isn't a slight towards any of those guys. But we're going to start with five, and then we're going to go forward. Uh, Rob, I'll lead off. I'll lead off with this one. My fifth best point guard of all time at the U of A is Steve Kerr. Now, Steve Kerr's okay. Op- Good
0: Kerr is on my list, but we can get to him we can get to him now.
1: Okay. Steve Kerr to me, and again, I'm probably going to get slapped for some by some people. He's obviously one of the most impactful players in school history. There's no doubt about that. Um, he along with Sean Elliott, you know, and you could argue you know with uh, Eddie Smith and Pete Williams was obviously part of what got Arizona to the stratosphere that it is. and he was just the consummate point guard in that he didn't turn the ball over. He would get you 15 points a game, and he was a perfect number two to Sean Elliott.
0: He really, when you think of Arizona basketball, Mike, he is probably, if not the first name, I think he's the first player that comes to mm-hmm. mind for me that encapsulates what Arizona fans hold near and dear to their heart when they think of Arizona basketball. Lute's going to be your, your number one person you think about with the program, especially if you're, you're our age or around our age. Kerr, even more so than Elliot, is the guy that I I think of with everything that he had to go through, kind of that nitty-gritty blue-collar underdog sort of role that I think Arizona fans like to carry around. Of course, his backstory with his his father's death, blowing out his knee, um, all of that plays into it too. But then you kind of look at how he revolutionized basketball as a three-point shooter before a lot of people were doing that. His senior year making 50, what, 57% 57%, 57% of his three threes points. and the line was a little bit closer then. Um, but he's a guy I actually had him fourth mm-hmm. on my list um, because of his importance to the program and, uh, and all those other, you know, kind of factors that, that go in. He was part of, you know, maybe the best team to never win a title at Arizona there in, in 88. He was a, a all conference um, player as well. He has his number retired. He was two, two time first, uh, first team, all pack 12 pack 10 at the time also has a, a couple of um, All-American teams, a second and a third team uh, to his name too. So so Kerr is, like I said, maybe he's not the best player to come through here, but he's the one that comes to mind when I think of, of, of the best qualities of Arizona basketball.
1: Yes, and well, I think what's fun about this exercise is we're pretty much going, I think the first three are pretty much set in stone in whichever way you want to uh, enumerate them. But I think when it comes to uh, Kerr, the I guess the reasons, and we'll break down four and five right now while we're at it. The reason, I guess, that I put Jason Gardner above him, and again, it feels a little slimy on my part, but Gardner also is overrated and underrated, in my opinion, in his U of A tenure. I never understood why his jersey was retired ahead of so many guys that, quite frankly, are better basketball players, and we're going to get to one of those guys here coming up shortly, but Gardner, for me, when Arizona needed somebody to put them on their back, when everybody departed after that 2001 team, he came back that junior year, and he did He did just that. He averaged over 20 points a game. He was an All-American. He was one of the best players in the country. And if he didn't make have that junior year, he's fifth to me. But that junior year to me, for as hot and streaky as he could be, that's really kind of what separated him, and again, I realize that I'm in the minority, and I realize the majority of people probably agree with Mr. Rob Lance
0: yeah, and I had those in in that order mike with with Gardner as my fifth best point guard um with Kerr at four, so you and I just flip flopped those. I hear what you're saying about the oh one oh two season, and I think that that was probably Lute's best coaching job, yes, that year after losing so much, losing those four starters and what you know kind of was that bridge year before they had the 03 team and the 05 team, which were really, really excellent teams. Gardner, you're exactly right. Gardner carried that team to an All-American level uh, with those over 40 or 20 points a game. I, I think what that season, of course, I, I hear what you're saying, but I think the totality of the career is mm-hmm. what I'm kind of taking into account here, where Gardner and his other three seasons had so much help uh, not that Kerr didn't, um, but, but just, Gardner had the I, most talent. He, he wasn't necessarily he he was a consummate point guard. He he made the offense flow, but there was definitely other guys that could carry the burden there where Kerr was, you know, the second fiddle to Elliot, but also had a, a key part in that offense with his outside shooting.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. And like I said, those are those are ones I'm not going to sit here, and this is definitely not going to be the hill that I'm going to be prepared to die on, especially when it comes to Steve Kerr. And I think Steve Kerr, at the end of the day, there's a reason that his jersey was retired in the manner it, in yeah, which I mean, it was. But the
0: one thing that Gardner does have going for him, Mike, which is a rarity, he made three first-team all-conference teams. That, that's... That's pretty darn good, considering the the talented point guard that's come through this conference, especially when Gardner was here.
1: And the great thing about Jason Gardner, when you look at him, is that he looked like he consumed Built Bars. The, now, this was before the time of the Built Bar, and before the Built Bar really took off. But Jason Gardner had that look of somebody that, you know what, he could consume a built bar or two. And if you want to look like Jason Gardner did back in the day, I would certainly recommend a built bar. They come in all kinds of good flavors. And you know what? Some of these guys we're going to be talking with shortly, I'm not going to say that they don't consume a built bar. Our friend John Schuster actually sent me a text message eating a built bar. That's how far these things are taken off. And you know what? You better get on the built bar rain while you can because otherwise. Mm, Don't say we didn't warn you. Thanks for keeping it locked on Wildcats. I'm your host, Mike Luke, joined by my guy, Rob Lance. As always, the show is brought to you by rockauto.com. All right, Rob, we're now, let's get to the top three point guards in U of A history. And let's be honest here. We, you and I love talking Lute Olson because to me, that's kind of the essence of Arizona basketball. That's the glory years. That's kind of the innocence that you and I grew up in. And number three for me, is a guy that I think epitomized all of that, and that's Jason Terry. Now, you get some people that said, oh, well, he criticized uh, Sean Miller back in the day. Dude, I don't care at all about that. As a matter of fact, I think he has so much credit built up with me that, yes, he took money from an agent his senior year, but the sacrifice that that man made when he decided that, you know what, Miles Simon needs to start when he comes back from being academically ineligible Jason's sophomore and Miles' junior year. That's not something that a guy who's a starting guard on a top 15 team would do these days. You just don't hear about it. Now everybody knows the rest. Arizona goes on to win the national championship. Michael Dickerson slumps in the final four. Jason Terry basically picks up the slack. And that was just kind of the motto of Jason Terry his entire career here is picking up the slack. And again, senior year, took some money, shouldn't have done that but he was also the best player in college that year. JT to me is a guy that if you're coming up with a top five player list in school history, it's really difficult for me not to put JT on there. He was that special of a player and that special of a person while he was at the U of A.
0: The thing that sticks out to me, Mike, is the different roles that he filled and you hit on it there with, you know, his sophomore year, starting that first semester when, when Simon was ineligible. Uh, Than taking a back seat because, you know, Simon was, you know, more suited to as a a starter role. And and Terry slid right into that sixth man of the year role seamlessly and, and picked up the slack where where they needed to. But then you flash forward to his senior year. And he's no longer just that, you know, role player, sixth man. Like you said, he's the best player in the country and he got to do something and, and Gardner, we touched on him a little bit when we were talking about him, but Terry got to do something that a lot of loot players didn't get to do. They were given the keys to, to the machine and, and they could just do whatever they wanted. They could cook however they wanted. And, you know, you don't see a lot of guys that were averaging 21, 22, 23 points a game in, in loot's program, aside from Khalid Reeves. Well, Terry's one of those guys mm-hmm. averaging 22 points a game his senior year, uh, again, on a team that was probably one of Lute's better coaching jobs after losing a lot of that talent with oh, yeah. you know Terry and, and Bramlett as seniors, um, playing pretty good basketball there and, and earning Naismith Player of the Year Award, which is uh, really lofty stuff. You don't even for a program like Arizona, you don't see that every single or that
1: often really. Yeah. And what was great about him, Jason Terry as well, is that people look back at it and you talk about the debate, who's the best pro in school history? To me, there's always two answers. If you're talking about the apex, it's Gilbert Arenas, no doubt about it. But if you're talking about a career, it's Jason Terry. Now, I know that Andre Iguodala's got all these championships, and so does Steve Kerr, and Iguodala's got a finals MVP. But the only guy that really was busting you know, other players in the NBA finals and taking it to LeBron James was Jason Terry putting up over 20 a game in the uh, 2011 NBA Finals. He did the same thing in 2006, scored almost 20,000 career NBA points. He's just the epitome, Rob, of a guy that was able to take his game and always take it to the next level no matter what his team did. He did that in college. He did that in the pros, and that's why when I think of Jason Terry, I think of his long socks, and I think of the sacrifice and always being there when its team needed him.
0: Well, what's one of the first images you think of from 1997 i mean miles says championships one of the first ones but terry standing on the scores table after beating kansas mm-hmm. is right there i Pumping think if his you're making a, the a collage with the basketball of, of great arizona basketball moments that's probably in your top 3 or 4 yes with jason terry I, I would think and and again he's just one of the more lovable characters uh that's come through this program too which i know the community loves
1: yeah for sure so you got those three and then uh, this is always going to be the interesting one here because there are certain people and i've gone back and forth on this quite a bit um i am going to go with damon stoudemire at number two now first it's absurd to me that damon stoudemire's jersey is not retired and i don't want to hear anything about you know his uh he didn't qualify for some obscure award like the Francis Pomeroy award or whatever that missed me with all that Damon Stoudemire.
0: If that thing was even around then he should have won it.
1: Yeah. Who cares? (laughs) Damon Stoudemire without question is one of the five best players in school history. And there's guys like Steve Rivera. And I disagree with Steve a little bit here, but Steve certainly knows his U of a hoops who will maintain to this day that uh, Damon is the second best player in school history. He was that kind of a player. Damon was the guy, to me, that made Arizona point guard you and made Arizona sexy. Yes, Steve Kerr came first. He had Matt Offick. But nobody on, came up on the playgrounds wanting to be those guys. There were kids that came up on the playground wanting to be Mighty Mouse. And that's really, I think, where his, besides what he contributed on the court, that's, that's the essence of who Damon Stoudemire is.
0: I, I agree with you wholeheartedly there, and we're really. Damon was my number two, and I think until we had the Bibby conversation for his birthday last week, I think I probably would have had Damon just slightly ahead of him. But after that conversation, I went back and I looked at it a little bit more closely, Mike, and, and it, it it really start you start to break down two years against four years, and it's really hard mm-hmm. to to do that. Where it comes down, what the difference is between Bibby. And Stottemeyer for me is the postseason. Right. Where Bibby won the national title and got to an Elite Eight the next year. Stottemeyer's teams were first round losses, what, three of his four years? Yep. And a final four run against Arkansas, that one in between. That You're at such a high level that you're parsing this, and it might be a little bit petty to bring that up because it's a team game, but if you're you're trying to weigh one against the other, I think that's the deciding factor between the two.
1: And, Rob, the thing that always will stick out to me, though, with Damon is Damon was really... Damon wasn't better than Sean Elliott, but Damon brought a flair that we had never really seen here before. If there was a West Coast Allen Iverson, that was what Damon Stoudemire was.
0: I've never heard that comparison before, but that is great.
1: I mean, that's really he what... Had he had that, that yeah.
0: attitude, the the swagger, mm-hmm. some of the tattoos.
1: He, had, he, he, was, he just had everything in that regard. Dame, Damon was cool. I mean, there's really no other way around it. Damon was cool.
0: No, da- Damon was cool, and... I mean, a a backcourt between him and Khaled Reeves doesn't get any better in college basketball. Ever. I don't think it does. No, Uh, it really does. Those two trying to run the show together was amazing to see.
1: And, you know, and again, I'm going to steal some of Brian Jeffries' points on my number one because I've gone back and forth on this. And I'll mention this all the time because Brian's seen these guys up close. But Brian will tell anybody that'll listen, and he's told me this, I've been fortunate enough, that yes, he totally understands the essence of Sean Elliott and how great he was and that he's probably the best player in school history. But Brian always says if he needs one guy for one game, it's going to be Mike Bibby. And I th- think the way that he means that is that Mike Bibby was just different in that he wasn't necessarily the fastest. He wasn't the most athletic. He was really none of that. But Mike Bibby just was In control of the game in a manner in which nobody else really was. And I've never seen anything like him at the U of A, in that he played at his own pace. And you know what? He made others play at his own pace. And that's pretty amazing when you think about some of the talent that was around at that time. Even on that team with a Jason Terry, a Miles Simon, Mike Bibby was just something different. And people talk about, well, you know, the – who's the most hype player ever. There will never be the hype of a player that was around Mike Bibby coming in because this is a guy that, you know, looking at, depending on the magazine was considered maybe the second best player in his class behind uh, Kobe Bryant. And he came in and he outperformed those expectations, Rob. You very
0: rarely see that. See a guy that's that hyped up that, that outperforms those expectations. Uh, And there was a certain maturity with him, and, and we talked about it last week. With from that first game against North Carolina, that a calming maturity that that he carried himself with, and uh, he played the position exactly how you wanted him to. He he could delegate when he needed to, um, which he did an excellent job of. Uh, he could also take over a game with his scoring ability uh, when you needed him to. And in college, at least, he was a above average, if not very good defensive player Mm -hmm. um, getting in passing lanes uh, and and playing on that side of the, the ball, too, where you don't see that sort of maturity in freshmen, especially back then. Now you're starting to see it a little bit more because these guys are playing high level AAU ball and club ball and and on national TV for their their high schools. But back then you didn't really see a freshman come in and really dictate tempo and dictate what he wanted to happen in a game and it didn't take him any time at all well, it, it was from the jump baby was doing that and for his two years here on campus it was it was electric it, uh watching him run the show
1: and it was remarkable because he starts off in springfield illinois against on a uh, a nationally televised game against ed coda and antoine jameson and vince carter and oh by the way this freshman from phoenix miles simon's not there along with Michael Dickerson, were the two best players on the court. And Bibby was just, he was different all season again. It wasn't like he had this 25-point type style. That really wasn't what he was. But if you wanted to win a basketball game, you were going to take Mike Bibby every single day of the week. And, you know, what? you saw that in the NBA as well. This is a guy that was not the most athletic, but he's averaging, he's having years where he's averaging 20 plus a game. He's going toe to toe with Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal as the best player on the court. Basketball for as unathletic as he was compared to his peers, basketball just came easy to him and he controlled things in a manner in which nobody in school history probably did. And that's why he's my number one, Rob.
0: No, I think so too. And you can look at uh, the NBA executives, at least least in that draft uh, would probably agree with us. Should he have been number one selection by the Clippers instead of Michael Ola candy, but I think you can say yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, On that one. But you know, until Deandre Ayton came out, he was the highest drafted Arizona wildcat and there's something to be said for that going number two overall. And um, you know, these other Arizona players that we're talking about that, Some of them got drafted, some of them didn't, but none of them went higher uh, at the NBA level as far as the NBA draft than than Bibby.
1: Rob, there's been a lot of fun. We're going to do this next week. And you know what? We're probably going to go down the shooting guard realm, but uh, yo, for sure. So if you could place a bet on this, probably not going to find it, but the one place you would maybe want to throw that in there is betonline.ag. For Rob Lance, I'm Mike Luke. Thanks for keeping it locked on, Wildcats.